welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace, here again with Freya Spence, and we are fresh off uh, almost four weeks in Thailand, and with that fresh in our memory, we thought it would be a good idea today to sit down and talk about how to optimize travel for health and well-being. Uh, long flights, as I think most people out there know, can really wreak havoc on how you feel. And if you take a vacation sometimes and don't move or just eat foods you're not used to eating, you can end up coming back feeling a lot worse than when you left. So today we're going to discuss how to optimize travel to maintain your health, get the most out of your trip, and to actually feel recovered and refreshed upon returning home. The first big key is to understand the context of your travel. Are you traveling for pleasure, for work, for competition, or otherwise. If you're traveling for pleasure, then you can be of the mindset to indulge a little bit in local cuisine and culture, as this is a huge piece of travel for most people, but it does not have to come at the cost of your health and have you returning home feeling sort of exhausted, disappointed in your choices, and wanting another holiday, or with GI distress. On the other hand, if you're traveling for work or competition, the objective is pretty straightforward. It should be to stick to routine and structure as best as you can within the new time zone and to optimize your health so that you can do your best work possible. The second big key is also to understand your current health goals. Um, so just because you go on a vacation, for example, doesn't mean that all of your objectives regarding, you know, for example, weight loss just go completely out the window. So you need to understand going into your travel, are you trying to lose weight or at the very least maintain your weight through your travel? Or on the other hand, are you currently bulking and trying to put on muscle and you should put a lot of onus on how am I going to get enough protein, enough food? Um, so your food choices should still hinge on these overriding goals. And it's possible to execute this plan no matter the travel destination. We've been to a lot of different spots. We've both traveled for a competition, for work, for just general pleasure. And if you go in with the right plan, you can absolutely execute no matter what your health goals are going in. So the way we're going to break this down is we're going to first discuss getting there, wherever that is, <laughs> getting there, and uh, how to manage that process, then your time there, and then getting home, which is similar to getting there. So in terms of getting there, we're going to discuss flights in particular, but understand that road travel is actually significantly easier um, because you're not traveling across multiple time zones at very quick speed and you usually have more food available to you or at least more option available to you. So with regards to flights, the first piece of advice that we have is eat before you go. Do not eat airport food. Do not eat airport food. If you're traveling domestic, it's a lot easier because you're allowed to bring a lot of things through customs. If you're traveling internationally, you cannot bring anything fresh but you can most certainly eat before you go and the amount of food ingested at airports that does nothing but set people back before they've even gotten there is wild yeah the food courts in airports are dreadful um, not to mention extremely expensive so if you're taking you know a, a flight let alone a very long flight the last thing you want to do before that is to crush down some fast food. 
and to get all this food into your belly that is super high calorie, zero nutrients. It's just going to make you feel like crap before the holiday or the work or the competition even begins. So make sure you eat well at home before you go and then anticipate how long is my flight going to be and then you can kind of plan from there like when you're going to eat after that but if you eat before you leave then you know you can avoid all the bad stuff that's in the airport and you can start your trip on the right foot just to give an example of what we recently did we typically have dinner around 5 p.m but our flight to thailand last month was at 1:45 in the morning so we knew that was already going to be a bit of a stretch because i'm usually several hours into sleep by then and so we had a nap in the afternoon because we had the luxury to do so then pushed dinner until about 8 30 or 9 p.m so that we had our last meal a lot later but we had more energy got to the airport were absolutely fine and could keep ourselves awake for the first couple hours of the flight which was our intention there Consequently, we also did not have to eat the first meal that was served on that flight, which was not particularly healthy, as none of them are, (laughs) and we were ready to sleep when we had planned to sleep without that in our stomach. Exactly. So we had that plan going in, and again, Fran and I have different goals. So I am actively trying to bulk and gain weight. I didn't want to lose weight on the trip. I eat several times a day more than Freya has to. So we actually saved the first two meals. We didn't eat them. And we just kind of put them down on the ground in between us. While we (laughs) slept, we had this food kind of just chilling there. We didn't even know if we were going to eat it. We didn't know if it was quality enough that either of us would, you know, want it in the end. But we kind of put it down on the ground and was just chilling there. And I took some other snacks and stuff in case I would need it. But the plan was you just get on a plane and then we're going to sleep for as much as we can accumulate that uh, that sleep time and then eat towards the end of the flight. And so that's another key piece is to fast through flights whenever you can. Now, if you have a short flight, for example, just, you know, three, four, five hours, there is no reason anybody needs to eat on that flight. Even if you didn't eat at the airport, even if you're going on, I can, God forbid, like seven or eight hours fasting. This is what you should be doing through a flight. There's no need to eat up there. And then once you land, then you can kind of resume and get going again. But you should be fasting through your flights. Or if it's a 15-hour flight, the one that we were on, you need to be strategic about when you are going to have those meals and not just eat whenever the steward or stewardess brings you food. So when it comes to the meal timing on really long haul flights, as Dane mentioned, fasting for as long as possible, whenever possible, is helpful. It's also helpful for your immune system. You're in a metal tube full of germs in the sky. And uh, one of the things you can do to help yourself is to not eat slightly less quality food by fasting. That said, we're also looking at the context of the overall trip. So we were our first leg of our flight was 15 hours. We've been on other ones that are similar in length, and we were from 10 to 15. We look at the end goal of when we're landing and what stimulus we're trying to bring to our body. So we also look at when we left. In this case, we left at 2 in the morning Toronto time, which was the time zone we were on, which is why we pushed our dinner later. But then we also knew we would be landing at the beginning of a new day in the next country. 
So eating the first meal at a quote unquote normal new breakfast time is very helpful because it allows you to accumulate sleep. You fasted for the majority of the flight. You didn't eat at a time when your body perceived it to be nighttime. So eating for the first seven hours of that flight would have still been Canadian nighttime and your digestive enzymes are not where they need to be to process food. But having a meal as you enter that new day in the new country is actually quite helpful to help you set your clock. Now, I typically don't eat on flights at all. So if you're of that population, then it's helpful to have a snack with you that you can have once you're off the plane or to have your plan ready. So knowing where you're going is helpful because then you can plan to have your first meal and it helps you fast the whole way through. If you have no idea where you're going, bring a snack that can be cleared through customs and have that as part of your plan. That said, you have to get used to fasting before you go do this. Most people experience some level of stress when they travel. So if you are not used to ever fasting at home and you never go more than maybe eight hours at night without eating, then that's something that you'll want to address at home. It's healthy and it's normal for us to have breaks in eating overnight. So if you have a minimum of 12 hours overnight, between dinner and breakfast the next day, that's a normal, healthy human activity. So if you're taking a night flight to Europe and they're serving you a meal at one in the morning, there's absolutely no need to eat that and it won't help you adjust to that new time zone. Getting used to fasting in your day-to-day life will help your health. And then the bonus is that it helps you when you travel as well. Absolutely. And uh, a 12 hour window overnight isn't, you know, that's not intermittent fasting. That's not anything special. That is kind of the bare minimum that most humans should be aiming for. Um, There's no need for any of us to be eating more than 12 hours in a day. The human body is not equipped for that. And people who do eat, you know, for example, breakfast at 6 a.m. and dinner at 9, 10 p.m. and leave an eight-hour window overnight, that's a huge, huge contributor to, you know, heart disease, metabolic conditions, over being overweight, obesity, all that. Um, So again, that fasting window overnight, very, very important in general life for health. Um, and it does have great carryover for, for travel. And the other thing we just wanted to bring attention to as well is bring your own water bottle. One, because when you're on a flight, you get super dehydrated. So you need to kind of keep that pace of water up. But secondarily, I mean, save the planet. You can ask for water bottle after water bottle after water bottle on the flight. But let's all just be a little bit uh, considerate of the environment here. Take your own water bottle, take a big one. And then you don't have to burden the planet while you're up there as well. Any more than you already are. Being in a plane. Correct. (laughs) So aside from the food piece, to help with comfort overall, I'm a big proponent of joint aids. And uh, what I mean by that is just body support. So with my hips and low back in particular, as well as my neck and shoulders, which sounds like I'm describing my entire body, and I essentially am, uh, (laughs) they're quite sensitive to being in a static posture, particularly a seated one, for long stretches of time. So this applies to cars as it applies to uh, plane seats as well. I'm not really sure who they're built for because tall people have problems with them, as do shorter individuals. If you experience a lot of joint discomfort, you may want to consider bringing a low back pillow or something like a, this is going to sound ridiculous, but a hemorrhoid pillow because that can take a lot of pressure off of people's tailbones as they travel. Turtle pillows are our preferred neck pillow because they, sorry, go ahead. T-R-T-L, turtle. Turtle, yep. Yeah. 
Turtle pillows are helpful because they can be adjusted to either side of your neck. You can also wear them in front so it prevents your head from dropping forward. They're not the U-shaped ones. They pack up far smaller than that almost looks like a scarf. So we found those were very helpful and successful. We also have a Mulgore, which when you look at it online, looks ridiculous, but was a godsend for one of our overnight flight, uh, sorry, two of our overnight flights in the last uh, year and really helped spare the spine and the hips a fair bit. Yeah, it's basically just this giant inflatable pillow that's kind of hollow in the middle, so you can kind of put your arms through it, rest your head on it, so you can lean forward and actually sleep forward instead of having to keep your body upright. Uh, super duper helpful, especially on smaller uh, smaller planes with cramped mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a big fan of the Casper Nap Pillow. I've spoken about the Casper Pillows before. They produce a nap one, so that was helpful. Essentially, half our suitcase is dedicated to little bolsters. You do not have to go that far. That's just what I use to keep myself in one piece and be able to enjoy the luxury of travel. But aside from all of that, one key thing that will help all of those joints, and you've no doubt heard it before, is breathing. So if you tend to get tight through your shoulders, your neck, and your hips, and low back, as would be normal on a flight like that, or if you suffer from any sort of anxiety around flying, if you spend time on the flight focusing on your breathing, breathe through your nose, you'll reduce the chances of your of getting sick if you do that as well. You will also allow greater tissue relaxation and greater structural support through your hips and your low back. Many of us, when we go into a slightly stressful situation, will default to shallow breathing. And all this does is increase some of the physical tension that we feel. So you can walk off the flight feeling even worse than if you spend some time focusing on it. After all, you're stuck in a metal tube. There's nowhere to go. You may as well just sit down and focus on your breathing for a little bit. Absolutely. And all those things, the the joint aids, they are also going to help you get into a good position to sleep on a really long flight. Um, and that's another really key piece we've already mentioned is accumulating as much sleep as you can on overnight flights. I am not a good sleeper on flights. It's really hard for me kind of sitting upright to sleep. I'm sure a lot of people can understand this. But one of the key things that you're going to want to do, especially as I said on overnight long haul flights, is to accumulate sleep either in little nap periods or just say, hey, I am going to just sit here and focus on my breath and hopefully I'll fall asleep for the next seven to eight hours and just kind of get that sleep. And again, think about what time is it where you're going? And if you're on a 15 hour flight, for example, if you're arriving in the morning, I mean, you're not going to be wrong in getting sleep at any point in time, but you have to get sleep on that flight (laughs) because if you don't sleep for 15 hours and then it's the day there, you're going to be really thrown off. So at some point on that flight, accumulating six, seven, eight hours of sleep is absolutely paramount. And in order to help you to do that, make sure you take an an eye mask, make sure you take a night hood, make sure you take some earplugs, take a few of those items that are really going to help you block out the sensory stuff, the noise and the light that are going to inhibit you from sleeping. Um, So just along with the joint aids, those other things to cover your ears and your eyes, and then just be really patient with yourself and make sure you can get as comfortable as possible, focus on that breath and accumulate sleep where you can. One last note on the sleep is uh, the blue light from screens. Thankfully, if your flight has screens, they can be shut off now. But this is where that eye mask is really important and where your personal willpower is important. Don't watch movies the entire flight. It's 
perhaps tempting to you, especially if they have good options. But if you're crossing a load of time zones and you're exposing yourself to blue light throughout the majority of that flight, you're going to run into bigger issues than if you can block it all out. So that's why even with regards to an eye mask or a knighthood, which is the the one that we prefer, you may not be asleep, but just being able to block that out and get into a calmer state is going to help you a lot when you get into that new time zone. And then finally, one last thing from the actual flight itself is when you are not trying to accumulate sleep, make sure you stand up. (laughs) So again, if you're on a really long flight, uh, you know, 10, 12, 15 hours, you should be getting up several times throughout the flight just to stretch the legs. You know, most people don't think twice about sitting for 10 hours at their desk, Um, but whether it's at a desk or in the sky, Everyone should be getting up about every 45 minutes to an hour. Just, you know, stand up. You don't have to go anywhere on the flight if you don't want to. But just to unbuckle that seatbelt, stand up for a second, just give a little bit of stretch actually really, really helps the body. And then getting off that flight, you're going to feel a lot better given that you have gotten up, walked around, stretched the body a little bit. So during that time you're not accumulating sleep, please make sure you get up, stretch a little bit. Um, It's going to make a huge difference, especially for anybody who might experience swollen ankles or anything like that. Get up and move on that flight. (laughs) One of our good friends likes to say, don't be surprised if, and in this case, don't be surprised if you expose yourself to blue light, eat shitty airport food, do not move for 10 hours or even just seven hours and do not accumulate sleep and do not prep to be in the new time zone. Do not be surprised if you experience a lot of jet lag and feel like crap for a week. Yeah, a lot of these little tips and suggestions we're making here, they're, yeah, they're to optimize your health, but in the end, they're really going to help you offset jet lag. So we're not saying these are cures for jet lag, but doing these things, these are what are going to get your gut and your circadian rhythm and get your body in general on the new time zone as effectively as possible so that when you get there for regardless of what it is, work, competition, pleasure, that you can actually enjoy yourself and execute on what you want to do. So now that we're off the flight, um, one of the very first things you can do to help yourself is to get into the sunlight as soon as possible and move. That just means walk. (laughs) Moving first thing while you adjust will help immensely with assisting your circadian rhythm. And if you are a coffee drinker, having a coffee while you're at it will also help. If you're not a coffee drinker, obviously don't worry about that. Do things that you would normally do, but expose yourself to sunlight as soon as possible to tell your body where you're at in the day. Um, I know we've already mentioned it. Uh, the first meal might be kind of like the first meal in the new time zone might be the last meal that you just had on the flight, for example. If not, one of the things we always do is we, we always know we've researched ahead of time where we're going to eat once we're off the flight. So if we're going to California, which we do quite often, we always know that our first stop is going to be just to Whole Foods, just to get to that little buffet, which is, you know, full of foods that we both tolerate well, and we know where it is, it's convenient, it's on route to our location, um, so we can just swing in there, get what we need, and that starts our day well. So anywhere you're going, make sure you know where that first meal can be, really important. And at the end of the day, when you are walking into a new time zone, regardless of whether you slept on the flight or not, try your best to power through the first day to make it to 8 or 9 p.m. I have a very hard time with this. Neither of us sleep especially well on flights. We just do our best to keep a calm system throughout. And if we can power through until about 8 p.m., then generally speaking, we manage to sleep through the night. Whereas napping, 
not a great choice. Yeah, that almost always ends in total disaster. Either you won't be able to sleep that night or you will fall asleep and then you'll wake up and mm-hmm. it's it's generally not good. So that first day, again, like we said, have a coffee if you drink coffee, know where your first meal is, eat that meal, and then get through that day. Stay active, stay busy. Don't just go to your hotel room and hang out. Like Make sure you have something planned that day uh, so that you're not just kind of casually laying in bed and then, oh, whoops, the days he woke up four hours later and now it's 9 p.m. <laughs> so now while you're on holiday or while you're on your trip, let's say, because you may be traveling for athletics, for example, or for work, we'll discuss food first because we've been on that topic with the flight. And if you're traveling for athletics, bring your snacks or know exactly where you can get them. There are certain things like this that you cannot leave up to chance. So protein powder, vitamin C packs, various energy balls, nuts, quick fats, whatever it is that you typically have, you either have them with you or you know exactly where you can get them on arrival. Part of the reason you should always have your own snacks (laughs) is to help you establish a routine at home and then carry that through. If you're changing time zones when you're competing, that's already a big enough job for your body to make it through that you shouldn't also be introducing new foods. When it comes to your main meals, avoid all new foods while competing. One of the things I've done with athletes is um, sit down with them and we plan out all of their meals while they're away competing if it's a really long stretch of competitions and they have menus available to them beforehand because they won't have a kitchen. Whenever we travel for competition, we rent places that will allow us to cook so we know exactly where we're going, we know exactly what we're eating, and we don't add in any elements of risk, i.e. new foods, until after the competition's done and then we have a little bit more free range in that respect. Um, between events, it really depends on timing. Liquid is often easier for some, which is why having protein powder and vitamin C packs can give you a little boost. It really depends on what type of athletics you're in. If you are, um, if you have a really finicky gut, it's probably better for you to have just a few small chewable items and keep the volume in your stomach really low. Many people who have great GI systems, will still get that competition gut effect because your adrenaline spikes and your body has a little bit of a natural stress response. So that's where you've got more frequent trips to the washroom. It's this sort of thing that will dictate what you choose to have on your person and then what you choose to have on your person should be tried at home first. Everyone tends to know that, but it never ceases to amaze when we find athletes trying brand new supplements or brand new snacks in competition it's not something your body's going to like. So just stick to the tried and true, try things at home, and then understand that the stressed out gut is one that moves faster. So don't take anything that will do, that will facilitate that. For those of you who have allergies, I have um, a number of those due to some autoimmune issues, but I still compete successfully. I follow the same principle of not leaving anything to chance. On our recent trip, Dane constructed a fantastic translated allergy card (laughs) apparently i speak thai now (laughs) so it stated the the foods that i was highly allergic to in english and in thai and had infographics as well in case they didn't speak thai which we encountered a fair bit actually and from there i think we mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast is that it's again important to remember when you're traveling like what is your long-term health goal 
Are you trying to lose weight? Are you trying to maintain weight? Are you trying to gain weight? Because that objective doesn't necessarily change while you're traveling. Um, if you're trying to lose weight, I mean, you need to stick to the same paradigm and structure that you use at home. You know, if you're not snacking and you're just eating three meals a day, you can still execute that while traveling and still eat, you know, local places. You just have to manage your portions, use the habits and the system that you use at home to lose weight or to, to achieve the health goals that you're, you're aiming for. Same thing applies to if you're, if you're bulking, if you're trying to gain weight. I took a ton of protein powder on this trip with me because I knew I would probably have a hard time finding enough protein in Thailand. And then I just made sure I bought a lot of eggs. I would eat eggs every day, more eggs on this trip than I typically eat here because it was the most readily accessible protein there. Uh, and then just planning throughout the day to eat, you know, the five times I need to eat to make sure I get enough calories. So you have to understand that if you're, you know, just because you're on vacation, if you're trying to maintain your weight or lose weight, you can't just slide into bulking habits or you're going to have some regrets at the end of that trip. Now, work-related, rely on snacks. It's kind of like in competition, like rely on packed snacks, hard-boiled eggs, nuts, etc., for conferences that might predominantly serve pastries for food. As a general rule, any snack is okay if it's like a whole food or one ingredient food. That's the kind of thing that you're aiming for. So some people are afraid of like fruit, for example. Hey, that's a heck of a lot better than, you know, a pastry <laughs> or eating a mystery food from some buffet. So again, when you're there for work, you stick to your goals of what you're trying to accomplish. Make sure you have your snacks with you and don't just play the victim and say, well, I have to eat at the conference buffet. I have to eat this free pastry that they're giving me right now. Just because you're traveling doesn't mean that your days should be all that different. Know how often you eat at home and execute that same plan while you're away. On the work note with conferences, they tend to serve food more frequently than you would eat at home. So although you can pack your snacks and mini meals, stick to, as Dane said, stick to the number of times you eat at home. Conferences are fascinating in the sense that they will have a nonstop delivery service of food and um, whether it's super healthy or not, none of us should be eating so frequently that we're constantly jacking up our insulin. It's a great way to bulk up if that is your goal. But having a constant stream of food, even little bites frequently, isn't necessary for our general health. So aside from food, obviously there is the movement piece. And whether you're going to a tropical beach or you're going to a city in Europe where you have a lot of walking available or anything in between, try to move every single day. Try new things. Uh, see what is available in the area that you're in. Use that new environment as an opportunity to try and explore new things. You don't have to do the exact same routine that you do at home. When we were in Australia Australia last year, we didn't visit a gym the entire time, but we did move every single day. So we were hiking, we would do body weight stuff on the beach, um, animal flow at our Airbnb, whatever it was that we felt like doing that day. So there's no reason to not move, even though you don't have your same facility around you or your same habits. One of the worst things that we see happen is people go into a holiday mode wanting to relax and restore, which is absolutely fine. That's actually not, that's not a bad thing itself. But what is not great about this is when they choose to relax all day, every day. 
you have to earn your rest and you will sleep well and get the recovery you're seeking if you move. It does not have to be strenuous, but you do have to move and stimulate your body in some way, shape or form to get the rest that you're looking for and to give your body that break. If you tend to sit at a desk all day at home, then your body's craving movement and you can get more of that on your trip. Yeah. So for anybody traveling for a vacation, for example, I, I always find it interesting that, you know, we want these vacations so that we can come back, you know, we can recharge and feel refreshed. And then a lot of people will go on these vacations and it's just crappy meal after crappy meal. You go to restaurants, lots of alcohol, a little bit of like very little sleep and very little movement. And so when you come back, you mean, don't be surprised if <laughs> you feel worse than when you left. So it's again, movement is that core piece that is going to lead to better sleep, lead to you being able to enjoy the foods that you want to enjoy on this on those trips. So make sure you do get in that uh, that daily movement. I mean, we at our most recent uh, trip here to Thailand, like we we actually found quite a good gym in Thailand. It was nice because it was AC'd, <laughs> and so we would go there. We didn't spend too much time within that gym, but it was great to actually have a little space with a little bit of cool air um, to get a little bit of movement in that was outside of that. Uh, quite a bit of humidity and it's just one of those things that it really kind of ties everything together so that you can enjoy the rest of your trip yeah and and on that note and this doesn't really fit in the movement piece it kind of fits back in the food piece but it's to just choose your moments for indulgence so understand that restaurant foods have lower quality oils and are far denser in calories than anything that you would create in your home um so go in with the plan you know you, you we all tend to eat out a lot more when we are on vacation um, but try and indulge strategically versus freely at every single meal, because then you're going to feel better and you're going to enjoy your time away. You're not going to quite put on that weight that can mysteriously add on. But again, when you're eating meals at a restaurants all the time, you are taking in more calories. You are taking in more inflammatory foods. Uh, so just try and be very, very aware of that and not just, you know, eat out mindlessly every single meal. Movement does help keep people honest in that regard, uh, which is why the indulgence piece fits in here. Because if you are moving every single day, your output is a lot higher than if you just laid on the beach all day. And not only that, you will probably make better choices because it's a catalyst effect. So as much as we um, teach clients how to indulge responsibly, as it were, you will make better choices knowing that the next day you have a hike planned or you're snorkeling or anything like that um, because there's nothing worse than going to a beach holiday and feeling crummy in your bathing suit and bloated all the time and um, the brief indulgence that or sorry the brief satisfaction from that indulgence won't be felt long term so there's a, a very nice balance that is personal to everyone that you can find where you do indulge strategically but you get to go and explore and and move your body and feel even better about those little indulgences yeah and and just to kind of finish off that general wellness and movement piece is that we already mentioned it that all this is going to help you sleep and when we are traveling, whether again, it's for pleasure, for work or for play, uh, for competition, sleep is super important because you want to be able to enjoy your vacation. If you're not sleeping well, it's just going to start this negative cycle where your days get kind of groggier and groggier and groggier. Um, so again, that movement piece, the, the being strategic with your meals, that's going to help you lead to good sleep at night. And uh, then again, when you get home, you're going to feel one heck of a lot better if you've gotten sleep on your trip. 
And finally, we have our flight home. We've already spoken about flights, so the same rules apply to flying home as they do to flying out. And um, the only thing to really pay attention to, aside from the food piece, is timing your sleep. And we know this is difficult. It's way easier when your flight lands in the morning in your new place, uh, or sorry, your home in this case, or when you were traveling out, it's significantly harder when your flight lands at night and you're crossing time zones. So case in point, I came back from Australia and landed in the morning and stayed on the West Coast. I did great. I had, I got outside, went to the park, was in the sunshine, made it to 8 p.m., slept that night until 6 a.m., which is a record for me, and was fine. No jet lag. Uh, Dane's flight, on the other hand, because we were traveling separate weeks, he got delayed. So he didn't make it home till two in the morning. And he was somewhat screwed for about a week trying to get back into, into the time zone here. And then this trip back from Thailand, we landed at about 8.30 p.m. So by the time you're home, settled and, and whatnot, it's 10 p.m., which isn't a problem, but that's that's 9 a.m. Thailand time. So I was wired for a full day. <laughs> and obviously, I'm trying to convince my body to sleep. So the nighttime ones are a little bit trickier. Our strategy for that was to try to stay awake for the back half of the flight. It doesn't always work when you can't sleep for the front half of the flight. But if, if you're able to, then that should be your end goal is just knowing what stimulus you're going home to. And then on the food note, we asked my younger brother to put a little bit of food in the fridge because we were landing the night before a long holiday. So everything was going to be closed and we knew that we would need a meal after the flight. And he was awesome and restocked our fridge so that we could get through that night and through the next day which was fantastic so you can recruit a little help if you need it and if you have willing participants (laughs) yeah and just as we mentioned at the beginning with the timing of your meals uh the same thing applies when you're coming back and to think okay what time is it at home like when would i be eating at home and even while you're still prepping to leave thailand for example where we were um you have to think all right when am I going to eat now? When am I going to have that fasting window that can kind of mimic like that overnight fast? And then when am I going to eat again on the new time zone type thing? Mm -hmm. So I know I think I last ate in Hong Kong, which was right before the 15 hour long haul. And then I didn't eat again until 12 hours later towards the end of that flight. So I created that fasting window there for myself during the flight and then ate again when it would have been, I guess, shortly after noon Canada time to try and put myself back on that time with my kind of gut clock. So again, you want to accumulate sleep when you can. You want to try and time your food as best as possible so that you kind of get your gut back on that time. Um, And those are two of the best things you can do to mitigate any jet lag on those long haul flights. Mm -hmm. Throughout all of this, I think the, the biggest, most important piece, not to sound too uh, cliche, is, is your mindset around it. So to loop back to the beginning, what are your overriding goals? What is your purpose of the trip? Are you in the mindset that you're traveling for fun and you would like a free-for-all? Because if that's the case, then that's the case. It's just really important to own that and to know that you're going to make choices around that. And 
general health and well-being is not your primary goal. And if you're going for a bachelor weekend and you are ready to party and you expect not to get sleep, that's fine. You're making a conscious choice to behave in that way. And that's, you you know, you're going to need some significant recovery thereafter. Don't be surprised if. (laughs) (laughs) So again, it goes back to mindset around it. And it really is helpful if you communicate that with whoever you're traveling with. If you're traveling solo, it's easier. But if you can be on the same page as the people you're traveling with, that's extremely helpful. If they're ready to drink at two in the morning before the flight and they want to party as soon as you arrive in the new destination and you're actually really looking to get some recovery and just indulge every now and again and to sleep then you're on completely different pages and you can probably travel just fine as long as you communicate that the last thing too with the long-haul flights I'm not a fan of sitting it tends to be really painful but at the end of the day I have the privilege of going to some of these parts of the world that do require significant amounts of sitting. And so within that, you have to find your own personal peace with the process. (laughs) One of our good friends hates flying, but she's done an incredible job over the last two years as she's explored new areas of the planet at finding her own peace on how she manages flights. So whatever it comes down to, if you find travel stressful or if you always wind up feeling crummy, it's really important to just look at your mindset look at your overriding goal, and then look at the choices that you make around that. And if you own all of those things, you'll be happy. No matter what the end result is, you put on a few pounds, you will not be upset if you know that your overriding goal was to just go have a blast and indulge at every opportunity. And I think that's a great way to just summarize things and to end this podcast. So we've given you some nuggets about how we've had success with travel and in kind of mitigating jet lag and feeling good once we're back home. Um, So we hope that these tips can help you on your next travel. And as always, if you ever have questions, topics you'd like covered, um, feel free to reach out to us via our uh, website and uh, we'd be happy to help you out with some new topics in the future. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Move Delhi Health Podcast. We'll see you next time. Ciao. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.